If you have a Bible with you this morning or you can open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and today we are continuing on by, in our study in the Sermon on the Mount by looking at verses 38 through 42. Now, as, as we've said before, Jesus delivers this amazing classic sermon while he is seated on a hillside by the northern sea of Galilee. There among the flowers and the grass of the field, Jesus spoke to a group of, of those who were his followers and those who were potential followers of his, explaining to them what the nature of his kingdom was all about. Jesus was a king who established a kingdom, but his kingdom was different than what people at that time were expecting. And so he uh, explains, uh, he needs to explain and correct their misunderstandings about the kingdom of God. Jesus is sitting there teaching the people, and in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, he's correcting the misunderstandings that they had about the law of God. He had, uh, they had heard that, that you should not murder, but they thought that that applied only to the act and not to the intention of the heart. They had heard the command, you shall not commit adultery, but they thought that that only concerned the act and not the intention of the heart. And so Jesus wanted to correct their misunderstandings of the law of God and bring the truth of God's word to their hearts. That's what brings us to the section of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. Here is what Jesus says. You can follow along in your copy of God's word. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Does this sound challenging to you this morning? Because if this does not challenge you, it's probably because either you don't understand the, what, what, what's being said here, or you're not paying attention. Because these are some very challenging words in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins here, and he addresses a, a passage in the Old Testament, a passage that's found in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 24, uh, where in the, the law of Israel it says this, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And Jesus says, you've heard this taught. That They had heard this taught in the synagogues of their day. But the, 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 the way that they taught this is they actually took a good and helpful law of God and they twisted it, mangled it uh, into something that actually did harm among God's people and not good. Let me tell you how they twisted this law in Jesus' day. First of all, they warped it by uh, changing the sphere in which it applied. But then secondly, they warped it by regarding it as an obligation and not as a limit. Let me explain. When God spoke this law in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 21, he absolutely meant it. It's not like God said this and then he said, oh, not really, I was just kidding. No, he meant that law. But he meant it in the context. You can read it for yourself, Exodus chapter 21. It's in a section that gives instructions to judges, the judges of Israel, on how they should administer civil justice. It is not in a section of how we should get along with our neighbor. 
It is about how justice should be administered in a society. And friends, sometimes we can really misunderstand things in the word of God when we take things that God has spoken about how things should be done in a civil society and we apply them to the personal realm. Or we take things from the personal realm and we apply them to how things should be done in the society, the civil society. What they did is they took this law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They took this out of the realm of the civil government and they put it into the realm of human relationships. Therefore, if you ram my car with your car, then I'm supposed to go and ram your car back. You see, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But what they also misunderstood about this law was that God intended it to be a limit and not an obligation. Let's face it, not only in civil government, but also in interpersonal relationships. If you poke me in the eye, I want to poke you back in the eye, and I want to stomp on your foot. But God says, no, justice has its limits, that the punishment should fit the crime, and punishment should not be excessive which is something that lawmakers need to keep in mind from a biblical perspective. Now, I don't know about every law in our society, and and this is something that people who know about law and justice can debate, but we agree with the principle here that, that punishments should not be excessive. That justice should be properly administered. That that people should not suffer the loss of life or liberty without the due process of the law in a just society. But but people in Jesus' day had twisted this. They they took all of this and they took it it out of the realm of the uh, civil government. And they put it into the realm of personal relationships. And then they made this an obligation. They said, you know what, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you poke me in my eye, I am obligated to poke you back in your eye. And that's how they thought about this. But Jesus says, no, you're twisting these scriptures. You're mangling this. Now, let me remind you of something here. In general, this shows us that it is possible to twist the scriptures. And the Apostle Peter spoke of some people who are untaught and unstable, who twist the words of the Bible for their own destruction and for the destruction of others. And it is possible for people to take the words of the Bible to remove them from their proper context and their proper sphere. That's what Jesus is addressing right here. Let me give you a couple of examples of how people could twist the scriptures. I'll ask you a question. Does the Old Testament say to practice animal sacrifice? Yes, absolutely it does. But do we do that? Should we do that today? No. What's the context and what's the sphere? Well, we understand that, number one, those were commandments that were given to ancient Israel. But number two, we understand that the sacrificial system is fulfilled by what Jesus did on the cross. That what we don't have that, that we don't have to uh, have these sacrifices anymore because Jesus came and fulfilled the whole purpose of the sacrifices by His own perfect work on the cross. We understand that. Now, uh, how about how about this one? Later in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter eight, uh, nineteen, Jesus is having this encounter with a guy that is known as the rich young ruler. And what does he tell the rich young ruler to do? 
Well, he says to the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. Now, did Jesus say that? Absolutely, he did. Is it a binding commandment for every believer at every time? No, we don't think so. I mean, look at the context, look at the sphere. And so it is possible to take passages or lines from the scriptures and twist them. What we have to remind ourselves of is this. Not everybody who quotes from the Bible or who opens the Bible and starts to speak is actually teaching accurately from the Bible. Now, please, we we don't need to become harsh and we don't need to become paranoid about this. That every time that someone opens the Bible, the sweat starts pouring off of us and we say, you know, are they teaching truth or are they teaching error? We, we, We don't need to become harsh or paranoid. But we have to have the attitude of some people from the New Testament from a town called Berea. And we refer to them as Bereans because they're from the town of Berea. But in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it describes the attitude of these people from Berea when the Apostle Paul comes and begins to teach and preach there. Now, in fact, it says this about them. It says that they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Did you notice that there? That they received the word with eagerness, meaning that they were not paranoid, they were not panicked, they received the word. And they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Individually, they studied their Bibles constantly to see if what Paul taught them was actually the truth. Let let me say this. When you study your Bible to see if what I teach is true, that does not insult or dishonor me. In fact, that actually honors me. If you come up to me after the service and you say, Pastor Jason, you said this, but it seems like the Bible is saying this, What's going on here? What about this? Friends, that does not dishonor me. That honors me. That is a credit to you as a Berean. Read your Bibles. Look at what people who teach you and influence your life say. See how it measures up against the Bible. And so we receive the word with readiness, not with a paranoia or a harshness. But we also check it in our own lives individually. But when we see what Jesus says here, this is so challenging. Look, at, look again, verse 39, what it says. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And Jesus presents the, the, the fullness of what God intended with this eye for an eye law and how God never intended for it to, to, to limit the idea of love that we should have for one another. You see, what Jesus tells us here is that when a person insults you, and in the example that he uses here is someone slaps you on the right cheek, our instinct is to give them back exactly what it is that they deserve and even more. Now, In the culture of Jesus' day, this was one way that a deep insult was expressed. And what you would do is you would slap somebody 
uh, with the back of your hand on the right cheek. And that's why it accurately says slapped and not punches. And that's why it specifically says here on the right cheek, because that's what would happen, kind of the back of the hand across the right cheek. This isn't a blow that is so much used to injure you, but to insult you. Now, we, we don't insult people in this way in our culture. Rather, we insult people over social media and through a whole bunch of other different ways in our culture today. But Jesus says this, when you are terribly insulted in this way, don't resist the evil person who does it. Instead, trust God to defend you. And the first thing I want you to notice here is that Jesus himself models this. Do you understand just how terribly our Savior was mocked and insulted during his life and ministry here on this earth? And Jesus was called a glutton, a drunkard, an illegitimate child, a blasphemer, a madman, and on and on and on it goes. And when people treated him this way, he did not get angry. He did not come back in the same way and try to get even with them. No, he patiently and graciously bore the insults. And friends, it went to a whole new level when he went to the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus endured incredible mocking and insults upon his character. In fact, I can hardly believe that he actually made it through that. Sometimes when I think about what Jesus suffered on the cross, not just the physical and spiritual pain and agony that he went through, but the, uh, what, what he suffered emotionally and psychologically, I can hardly bear it. To have the religious leaders who hated him come up to him and spit at him in the face. Now, that didn't injure him physically, but can you imagine the weight of that moment? And then, as he's there on the cross, those same religious leaders uh, came to him and began to mock him and laugh at him. Friends, in that moment, Jesus could have called down fire from heaven to consume them, but he didn't. He patiently bore the the mocking and the insults. And this is what Jesus is telling us to do. Now, I do need to spend a little bit of time here uh, uh, talking about some of the misunderstandings in this passage that could potentially be very dangerous for us. There are three wrong ways to misunderstand this. And number one, it is wrong here to, to think that Jesus meant that a physical tax should never be resisted or defended against. Again, as I said before, and I hope that this is very clear, Jesus says, when he says, slaps you on the right cheek, culturally what that was understood as, this was a deep insult and not a physical attack. Jesus did not mean here that if somebody hits you across the face with a baseball bat, that you just put your, turn your face and turn your head so that they can slap you on the other side of the, the face with a baseball bat. Did you know that the Bible teaches us that we have not only the right, but the responsibility to defend ourselves and our loved ones? You, you may never have heard this or considered this before, but I want you to think about this today. Jesus' disciples, in Jesus' day, while Jesus was there with them, carried swords around with them. In fact, there are several different passages in the New Testament that tell us that they carried swords with them. Why? Well, it was for self-defense. That there were a lot of robbers, there were a lot of criminals, there were a lot of dangerous people out there. 
and uh, the disciples carried swords with them for self-defense. The Bible is not against self-defense when it comes to our physical person. What Jesus is telling us here is not that it is wrong to defend ourselves physically, but we must bear the insults that people would bring our way. However, let me just say this. There are times under the guidance of the Holy Spirit when somebody is led by God to actually absorb a physical attack upon themselves for his glory. Now you say, Pastor Jason, what do you mean by that? Let me tell you a story. I I heard this story years ago. I can't get it out of my mind. But this is a story of an English man, an English evangelist by the name of Richard Weaver. I I found a picture of him. We're going to put it up on the screen. But Richard Weaver lived about 150 years ago. He was converted in 1852 and in the great revivals that swept across Great Britain in uh, 1859, God used him as a mighty evangelist. So Richard Weaver used to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus on the streets all the time. He was a man who at age seven, he went to work at the coal mines He started drinking at age 13 until he was wonderfully converted in his adulthood. But when he grew up to be a man, he was a massive, physically imposing man. And before he was converted, his business was street fighting for money. That's what he did. So when he got saved, he was still a very physically imposing man. And many people knew that his past involvement involved street fighting. And so one day he's out and he is street preaching. He's not street fighting, but he's street preaching. And this man calls out to him and says, hey, Richard Weaver, you know what? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 39, it says that if someone strikes you on the right cheek, that you should turn the other to him as well. What do you think? And Richard Weaver, this massive man says, okay, hit me. He steadies himself, he sticks out his face and this guy for this guy to punch him. And this guy, with all of his strength, comes and he just smacks Richard Weaver right across the face. Well, uh, Weaver, this massive man, staggers back, but he doesn't fall down. And uh, you, you can just imagine the tension in the crowd as, as Weaver slowly walks back towards this guy. He leans in and he turns his other cheek. And this guy is so freaked out that he actually runs away as fast as he can. A couple of years later, on the streets of Liverpool, a man comes up to Richard Weaver, and he says, Do you know who I am? And Weaver says, No, I don't remember you. And this guy says, Hey, I was the guy who punched you out on the streets. And he says, You know, I gave my life to Christ about a year ago, and God has been working in me ever since. Now, That's a remarkable story. And God used that situation for his glory. But here, Jesus is not talking about what we would normally call self-defense. But but there's another wrong understanding uh, of this that I want to address here. And it is wrong to think that Jesus meant that evil should never be resisted. Friends, we know that because Jesus demonstrated that with his very life, That evil should and must be resisted. Jesus strongly rebukes the religious leaders of his day. And you can look it up, especially in Matthew chapter 23. But he says, we need to resist evil. 
When Jesus went to the temple courts, he turned over the tables of the money changers who were these corrupt business people disgracing the house of God. And Jesus showed that evil should, must be resisted. So no one should use this passage to say, well, Christians should never resist evil. No, listen, when there is human trafficking going on, when there are people who are being abused and put into what today would be modern slavery, it is right for Christians to stand up against that. And nobody should say, well, the Bible says that we shouldn't resist evil. What, 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 when there is injustice in this world, when there are wrong things that are going on, it is the place of Christians to stand up and say, no, we, we, we won't stand for it. Because if there is evil in the world, then Christians have this desire to resist that evil. So first, this passage is not talking about prohibiting self-defense. Secondly, it is not talking about prohibiting uh, resisting evil. But the third wrong way that we can think about this is to think that there is no place for punishment or retribution in society. Sometimes when somebody commits a crime it is, and they're rightfully sentenced, some people might think that it would be compassionate to say, well, you know what, we should not punish the criminal. After all, the Bible says that there, there shouldn't be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That, that uh, Friends, I, I want you to understand that the Bible says that the governing authorities have the responsibility from God to punish evil. Now, we should be concerned and we should be praying for our community that justice is executed properly, that it is truly justice. That's why we pray for our police officers. That's why we pray for our district attorneys, pray for our court systems, that justice would be properly administered in our society, in our communities. But the, uh, the, the, uh, the execution of justice in a community, it is very close to the heart of God. In fact, you, we can read about this in places like Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And it says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have, no, have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you uh, have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on evildoers. You see... I must turn the cheek personally if I am insulted. But the government should never turn its cheek. It is the responsibility of the government to restrain the evil man from physically assaulting others. You might think about it a little bit like this. Imagine for a moment. It's nighttime. You're in your bed. You hear someone rummaging around in your kitchen. Your wife wakes up, says, hey, uh, honey, I, I think there's somebody down in the kitchen and it's not one of the kids. You need to go down and see what's going on. And so you sneak down the stairs and you creep into the kitchen and there's a burglar there in your kitchen. 
And so you grab that frying pan and you pop him up the side of the head, just like you see in the movies. And the, the guy's laying there on the floor and you tie him up or something like that. And, and, and you wonder, well, should I call the police? And, and the guy says, you know what? I'm so sorry. I mean, can't you just forgive me and show me the love of Jesus? Uh, let, let me say, tell you what you should do. You, you should forgive the guy. I mean, you should show him the love of Jesus. Maybe you should even make him some breakfast or something like that. But you need to call the police as well. Why? Because loving him on a personal level is your absolute obligation before God. But do you know what? If you let this guy go and you feel pretty good about the fact that you showed him this love, do you know who you did not love in that moment? Your next door neighbor who's going to get robbed tomorrow night if you don't have him arrested. Sure, you need to love that person and on a personal level, uh, show them the love of Christ uh, and have no animosity towards that person. Make him breakfast, bless him in the name of Jesus, but then you call the police and let the police do the job that they have been given as it's talked about in Romans chapter 13 that God says he has given to them to administer justice in a society. So that's the way that we need to understand this. But listen, what Jesus says here is very challenging. Enough of the ways in which we could misunderstand this. Let's talk about the ways that we should understand this. Look at what Jesus says in verse 40. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Jesus here is referring to a law that's found in Exodus chapter 22, Deuteronomy chapter 24. And it says this, that if somebody sues you and wins the lawsuit, that you're permitted, that, that, that they're permitted to take your shirt, but not your sweater, not your outer garment. You see, in those days, uh, people used to like to dress in layers. And so what they would do is they had this undergarment, something that would go close to their skin. And then they would have another garment, an inner garment that would be kind of like a button-down shirt or something like that. And then they would have an outer garment, something like a sweater or a coat or, or something like that. You know, most people back in that day only had one change of clothes. And so if you were involved in a lawsuit and you lost, and the only thing you had to give to this person who had won the lawsuit was the shirt off your back, what, what the law of Moses said is that you, they, they could take your shirt, but they couldn't take your sweater. They, they couldn't take your coat. Why? Well, because you needed to keep warm. This was a compassionate example of the law of Moses. And so... It showed compassion to the person who was in need. You you can take the shirt, but you can't take the coat. Well, do do you know what Jesus says to his followers here? He says, if you lose the lawsuit and uh, you're you're forced to give up your shirt, then uh, out of love and out of a spirit of reconciliation, I want you to give them your coat as well. Do more than what the law requires. Friends, that is sacrificial Christian love, and it is radical, and it transforms the world when we express it. Listen, most of the time, we naturally are looking for ways where we could do as little as possible for our adversaries. 
In fact, often we want to oppose our enemies. And Jesus says, no, I want you to do more than, than what you are asked of in order to benefit them. So if, you're asked, if they ask for your shirt, if they've won this lawsuit and they have the right to take your shirt, then I want you, out of a deliberate choice of love, to give up your sweater, to give up your coat as well, and show the love that Jesus has for them. You might say Paul repeated this idea from Jesus when he said this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. No, we're not going to let ourselves be overcome by evil, but we are going to overcome evil by doing good in the name of Jesus Christ. In verse 41 here, Jesus says something that might be even more challenging. He says... If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, well, again, he's referring to something common in his day. You might remember that in the land of Judea, it was under Roman military occupation. And the Roman soldiers of that day had certain rights under military law. One of the rights that a Roman soldier had was if he was marching through the land of Judea and he was tired of carrying his pack, he could force a Jewish man or a Jewish woman to carry that pack for him. Hey, you, you Jew, you know what? Carry my pack. The Roman law says that that you need to and I have a sword. So uh, let's say that you are a Jew in Judea and this Roman soldier comes to you and says, hey, you need to carry my pack. How are you going to feel in that moment? You're not going to be very happy about that, right? Your, your desire your, 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 is that this despised tormentor of you, I mean, he is coming at you, and now he's trying to force you to do something that you'd rather not do? This Roman soldier drops his pack at your feet, and he says, carry it, Jew. And he, he puts his hand on his sword just so that you know that he means business. You reluctantly, with hatred in your eye, pick up that pack and you put it on your back. And you walk, not beside this soldier, but you walk in front of him or behind him. And as you're walking, you are counting every step that you are taking because you know how many steps it takes to get a mile. And when you get to that mile, you stop immediately. And you look at that Roman soldier with hatred in your eyes. And you take off that pack. And as firmly as you can, without uh, putting yourself in in trouble or harm from him, you drop that pack at his feet. And, And without a word, you look at him and it's like you're saying, you know what? I am full. I fulfilled my obligation. I am through with you. I'm done with you now. Do you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, you had to do the first mile. The law required you to do the first mile. But I'm asking you to grab a hold of this situation and transform it by love. You say, you know what, Mr. Roman soldier? I had to carry this pack the first mile, but I am going to carry it a second mile out of the love that I have for Jesus Christ. And with joy in your heart, you carry it a second mile. Friends, it's pretty radical to think that way, right? To do that. Wouldn't that transform our hearts if we responded in that way? If we said, you know what? I'm not going to take retribution or revenge on people who wrong me. 
but when but with the love of Jesus I am going to give them uh, give to them and I am going to look for a way to do good towards them instead of looking to oppose and, and defeat my enemies and get revenge against them I am going to look for ways to do good towards them Sure, they they might uh, be trying to manipulate me, but I am going to turn this situation into a free act of love towards them. Mr. Roman soldier, you don't rule my life. Jesus Christ does. And because Jesus Christ rules my life, I'm going to carry your pack two miles instead of just one. How do you like that? What a radical and transforming thing to do. Recently, I came across some photographs that were done by a photographer by the name of Michael Belk. Now, I'd never heard of Michael Belk before, but he is a fashion photographer. He's come to Christ, and he's just been amazingly transformed. Uh, Michael Belk, uh, he takes this series of pictures that have this classic Jesus-looking guy in uh, modern-day situations in order to try to illustrate these biblical truths. Well, one of them actually caught my attention, and I want to share it with you here this morning. We're going to put it up on the screen. But uh, here is this picture that Michael Belk took of Jesus. He's carrying this soldier's pack and a gun because it's a modern situation. And he is walking with and talking with this soldier. You, You look at this and you say, oh, that's great. I mean, he's illustrating this second mile thing, right? But, but if you look closely, you'll notice something about this soldier. This soldier's not dressed like a Roman soldier. Do you notice the armband that this soldier has on? It's the, Gnostic, it's the Nazi swastika. And uh, all of a sudden, you realize that this photographer is trying to communicate something through this picture, right? You know, when, when Jesus told us to do this, in love towards our enemies, and not to take revenge or retribution on them, he meant even the bad enemies. You see, it is easy to think about loving and being good to those who are good to us, but Jesus is talking about something that's totally different here. He is talking about being good to those who are mean and manipulative and hurtful, people who are enemies. Jesus says, I want you to live differently. I want you to let my love flow in and through your life and your actions. Last verse here, verse 42, Jesus says this. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. We read that and we start to sweat a little bit. Like, I mean, man, if I give to everyone who asked of me... um, and I let everyone borrow something from me, I wouldn't have anything. I I, I mean, I got to hold on to something here, right? Well, Jesus says, "Why, why don't you do this? Why don't you hold on to me, and I'll show you the way? Friends, we read this, and we think, well, you know, what's the limit here? Because if I walk down 95th Street, I mean, and I give to everybody who asks of me, I mean, I won't have anything left. What am I supposed to do here? Listen, there is a limit. And let me tell you what that limit is. The limit is love itself. And I think that most of us understand this because sometimes we we could give to people and it's not really giving in a way that would be loving them, but it's actually hurting them. Sometimes affirming someone in their behavior and shielding them from the consequences of that behavior is not loving to them, but it's actually hurting them. We need to have limits 
But the limit is love itself, the, love, the, the, the limit that love would impose. It's not the limit of our self-interest and what our self-interest would impose, but it's the limit that love itself would impose. It isn't love to give somebody, give into somebody's manipulation without transforming that with a free act of love. It isn't love always to give a person what it is that they've asked for because in the end it might end up hurting them. It isn't always love to shield people from the consequences of their misbehavior. But rather, do you notice here what the common thread is? Love is the limit and not self. That's what Jesus says we should do. And that's what Jesus transforms us to do. You know, I read these words from this section of Scripture. And I think, wow, I mean, there's no way that I could do these things. And I can't. But the Jesus who did live these things out, the Jesus who did live this way, lives inside of each one of his people. We need wisdom. We need guidance here. And so we look to the word and we look to Jesus and we cry out to him. Jesus, would you please come and transform me into such a way that first I would be able to know and experience the great undeserved love that you have for me. But then secondly, that I would be able to live this out and reflect the loving kindness that you showed to me in my life every day that you give me. Let's pray.